welcome to Hebsey on Sports, brought to you by Crosswoods Golf and Country Club in Burlington. Looking for a great golf course that also has fabulous banquet facilities? Check out crosswindsgolf.com and book your tee time now. Maybe I'll see you out there. I'll be the guy in the woods. Toronto Mike is here, so let's go. Today on the show, Don Cherry coming back to Hockey Night in Canada for next year. It's going to be like 85. We're not sure about Bob Cole, though who got stiffed in this year's playoffs. We'll talk about that. The New York Islanders are looking for a new coach and GM after Lou Lamorello, just on the job for a couple of weeks, fired Garth Snow and Doug Waite. Gone. NBA, neither the Cavs nor the Warriors want to go to the White House. This is up for discussion. Of course, this is the important thing with the NBA playoffs is, never mind who's going to win the championship, who's going to win the playoffs MVP, but who wants to go to the White House? Would you go? Tim Thomas, I believe, was the first professional athlete to refuse to go to the White House when his team won the Stanley Cup. Was that during the Bur- uh, Barack Obama? Definitely. He hated uh, Barack Obama. Right. So that's during the B- Obama's... Uh, so around 2010, I'm thinking... Anyway, whatever year the Bruins won the uh, Stanley Cup. So he was the first to really come out and say, no, I don't want to go to the White House. I disagree with uh, you know the, the principles of the... Of the president of the United States and, uh, you know, and his administration. Oh, good for you. Look what you started, Tim. Look what you started. <laughs> First up, baseball. The toughest ticket in Toronto used to be when the New York Yankees came to town. It didn't matter how the Jays were doing. If the Yanks were the visitors, the Dome was usually packed. And before that, <clears throat> the old CNE Stadium. Packed to the rafters. 44,000. So last season, when the Yankees came to town for a weekend series in June, and they just, they're in a midweek series now, but the weekend series they came in early June, they drew 37,000 on the Thursday, and then 44, 47, and 46,000 for the next three games. In August, the Yankees came back to Toronto for a midweek series, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They drew 41,000, 39,000, and 43,000 during the week. Last year, this year, 29,000. They got a big problem over there, Hubsy. There's been a massive decline, at least uh, over 10,000 a game so far. Yeah, it's it's bad. 29,000 last night. And when my buddy uh, Jeff and I uh, got there, and by the way, thanks to Jeff, don't you love it when the day of an event, you get a phone call. Hey, I got a ticket for the Jays-Yankees. Do you want to go? And you look at your calendar and go, it's the busiest day of the year for me, but... Right around 7 o'clock, yeah, I'm free. I was planning on watching the game on TV. And it also tells you you were not Jeff's first choice. No, no, I was. I think I was. <laughs> I th- I, well, I think his wife was his first choice, and it was one of those, eh, nah, nah, I don't know if you know, like I had a tough day at work or something to that effect. But anyway, it was fabulous. We had great, great seats. And when we got there, the first thing usually is you try to figure out, hey, you know, what kind of crowds are it going to be tonight? It's the Yankees. And the Yankees had just finished two consecutive doubleheaders. They were exhausted. They had to play a rainout doubleheader in Detroit on the Monday, which was their scheduled off day. Then they come to Toronto. So they're exhausted. I mean, they can't even lift their heads up. So what do the Jays do? They, they shit the bed. They hit two home runs. The Yankees hit two home runs also. The Jays' two home runs were solo shots. The Yankees' two home runs were a grand salami and a three-run blast. Okay? Marco Estrada, great. But like most times with the Jays, the starting pitcher can only get you so far. He's nursing a one-run lead. In the seventh inning, he gives up a leadoff hit. They take him out. Gibbons, up, you're at 92 pitches. Take him out. Now, you know, you just know that one nothing is not a safe lead against the end. You you just know. We knew that was going to happen. Estrada's performance got ruined. 
Anyway, um, they lost the game, the Jays, as they've been doing lately. But I was sitting 30 feet from our friend Jan uh, Jervis Solarte, who, as you recall, if you've been listening to this podcast, I railed on for not hustling in the uh, last couple Did of weeks. Did you talk to him? That's what people want to know. I didn't really talk to him. I kind of yelled out at him and said, hey, Solarte. But the things, I, it would have been great if you would have turned around and said, oh, I saw what you said about me, man. <laughs> and, then, and then he you know, said, I'm, I'm going to prove to you that I hustle. But he didn't. He didn't listen to me because here's what happened. Okay, he got a base hit in his first at bat, and everyone's going, hey, uh, and then he leads off the fourth inning, scoreless game, hits a hot shot to third base. Had he hustled down the line, he would have beaten the throw by the third baseman, Andujar, who threw it wide of first and pulled first baseman Greg Bird off the bag. You know these bang-bang plays, right? First baseman gets pulled off the bag. He's now got to get the ball and do a swipe tag on the runner right? Who maybe is ducking his head or maybe he's avoiding the swipe tag and he's going to be in, he's going to be safe to lead off the inning. No. What happened was our friend Senor Solarte jogged to first base. As soon as he hit that shot and the third baseman made the play, he figures, ah, he's going to throw me out. Why should I bust my guts going down the line? Had he, he would have beaten the throw. Bird got pulled off the bag by a wide throw by Andujar. Instead of having to make a sweep tag, you know what he did? When he caught it, he realized that Solarte was still 25 feet from the base. So he just gently took two steps and just stepped on the base. That goes to show you he wasn't hustling because it would have been a bang-bang play. No, he's no Charlie Hustle, that's for sure. No, no, he's not. He's not even Jose Hustle or <laughs> Jan Jervis Hustle. So folks sitting near me uh, were already discussing the 2019 Blue Jays. What are they going to look like? Will Russell Martin still be with the club? What about Josh Donaldson? Do you, do you trade Donaldson? You have to. I think you, you have do. to. But the thing is, he's got to have some value. I mean, you're going to get a draft pick. Well, he's going to have no value if you don't trade him. Well, you're going to get a draft pick for him if he goes free agency. Um, But that's, but yeah, I think you could probably do pretty well. But he's got to be able to play. You've got to showcase his talents because the trade deadline's the end of July. So June and July are the months where you've got to have your guys healthy so you can put them on the trade block. And if that's the case, would somebody take Russell Martin? He's hitting like 160. Uh, Osuna's going to be gone. So what do you do there after the court case and all that kind of thing, right? Like, do you trade him? Does someone want him? Can you get value for him? You should be able to. And then your big question mark is around your starting pitching for next year. Can you depend on Marcus Stroman? Aaron Sanchez's last start was pretty darn good. Can, you know, can we expect that from him? These are two young guys that you're going to build your rotation around. And who's going to play in the outfield next year? Is it Teoscar? Is it Kevin Pillar? Is it Randall Gritchick? If you looked at the Jays' batting order yesterday against the Yankees, and the Yankees didn't even have Aaron Judge in the lineup, right? Right, I mean, Aaron, right. He wasn't even in that lineup, murderer's row. You realize the disparity between two teams in the American League East. And a, ja- a franchise like the Jays knew from day one in 1977 that they were going to have to beat Boston and the Yankees and Baltimore every year. But Boston and the Yankees, big payrolls every year, every year. How they won the 92 and 93 series was they spent the money. They went out and got David Cohn. They gave up prospects one year. They got Jack Morris. They got Dave Winfield. They got Paul Molitor. They got Dave Stewart. They got Ricky Henderson for a while. They went out and spent money because they had just opened the Sky Dome. They were drawing 4 million fans a year. There was not an empty seat ever in Sky Dome for the first few years. It was unbelievable. So they had the dough. But now, if you look at their attendance now, you realize they don't have that money anymore. Even though they're charging, like my buddy Jeff, who's a season ticket holder, 30% more. 30% more. 
this is a serious issue because, you know, there's always that one season lag, right? So last year, the Jays were, were, were bad. They were bad last season. And this is the season you see that effect on the, uh, the upfront ticket sales. So last season, the attendance was okay because 2016 was a great year. We went to the ALCS. So we're, I, I mean, it's going to look, I don't think Vlad Guerrero can sell enough seats. You know what I mean? Oh, he I might be able big to, trouble. but I don't know. I think if you were to sell it that way and say, come see the future and, and the future's now, like, in other words, we're going to contend in twenty. Here's what I always remember. When Roger Clemens was here and had the two seasons in Toronto, the two greatest standalone seasons for any starting pitcher in Blue Jays history, mm-hmm. there was no uptick on the days he pitched. No, no. And that's the other thing is very rarely will you find a pitcher that is so good, so dominant, that people will go to see him pitch. Like, we're going to pick that game of the series, and we're going to go watch it. So they come for the dingers. Is ba- that what you're Baseball is not the type of sport where you go to see a pitcher, you know. I mean, I think if you go back to maybe guys like Mark the Bird Fidrich, because he was such a, a novelty, right? Big Bird. I mean, if you ever saw highlights of this guy, and he had one good season. He won 19 games one year for Detroit, and then he blew his arm out because Sparky Anderson kept going to him because he was... Anyway, the point I'm making is, is that he was an event. ABC's Wide World of Sports, or Monday Night Baseball, would cover Mark Fidrich because he was an odd guy. He would shake hands with his infielders after they made a play. He would, he would get down on his hands and knees and smooth out the mound with his hands. Like, take a think about it. Every pitcher <laughs> digs away with his cleats. He brushes the dirt sideways with the cleats. It's always with the cleats, right? Who gets down on their hands and knees and and smooths and grooms the mound? So this is why people went out to watch him play, and there would be an uptick. Um, but I'm I, I'm I'm trying to think. Do do more people go because Felix Hernandez pitches when 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 he pitches for Seattle? Well, we had Carlos Delgado here in his prime, and I don't think that no. helped matters at the box office. No, no, it it's, didn't. It's tough times. I think what brings. The crowd, what brings the 45,000 to the Dome is a winning team, a good team that wins. That's what draws the crowd. Or even a team that's exciting. Even if they lose, they lose in an exciting fashion. I mean, I, they're, I they're, think you need the W, to be honest. This city seems to, at oh, least no when doubt. it comes to baseball, you need the, uh, no the Ws. No 2015 doubt. and 2016. And now the, that's all, now it's in the rearview mirror. Right. And look at what we see. Sad. So, so this year, the Jays are sixth in the American League in attendance. Last year, where do you think? My guess is we were first, is you my bet. guess. And the year before that, first. 3.2 million last year, 3.39 million in 2016. And that's coming off a season which was 2.79 million. And that's only because fourth. we weren't great until the trade deadline when Tulo came right. and David Price. So that's when things, that's when the, uh, the freight train left the station. Correct. Late July 2015. And now they're in a free fall. Can we bring Alex back? Is it too late? Uh, just speaking on behalf of the fans, Alex Anthopoulos. But. Are you are you blaming management? For, are you blaming management for this? If I do, I'm uh, people get very angry. But uh, can you blame management for Josh Donaldson's problem? Well, we can blame management for the, the Edwin Martin? fiasco, can't we? Well, sure we can. But I mean, if you look back, if you look back at that team when they were hot, Russ Martin, Troy Tulowitzki, Edwin Encarnacion, Josh Donaldson, Jose Bautista in the middle of the lineup. Right, they never could find a leadoff hitter, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but you, you had a pretty powerful middle of the line. You couldn't pitch around guys as much, right? And now, what do you got? You got Kendris Morales, Randall Grichik, right? You've got, uh, I, I believe, Kevin Pilar is the leading hitter on the team amongst the regulars, and he's hitting two sixty. And think about that; he was hitting over, well over three hundred for a long time. So between Kevin Pilar, Teoscar Hernandez, Solarte, Justin Smoke. Still the best hitter on this team, which tells you all you need to know, I think. After that, what have you got offensively? You don't. You really don't have much at all. You don't. Nope. You've got a lot of guys hitting under 200. You know, you know if you hit under 100, you know what they call it? The interstate. 
There's, there's the Mendoza line, which yes, is 200. Yes, I know the Mendoza line. I didn't the know. interstate, anything under 100, like 080 or 090 is like I-90 or I-90. It's, it's called the interstate. Hepsi, your inside source is, do we have a Tulo update? When when does he come back? Uh, Tulo, Tulo's not scheduled to come back until late June. This is only the 6th of June today. Uh, he's taking live batting practice. He's fielding grounders uh, and seems to be on his way. However, when you've missed as much time as him, there's two things. One is, do you rush him back because you want to see if he can fit into your lineup? Or to get a shortstop on this team. Or to get team. a shortstop on this team. Or, <laughs> or maybe you can make a trade. Like, in other words, maybe he comes back and he looks pretty good. And you go, hmm. And some team's shortstop goes down. I don't know. And they go, hey, who's available? And the Jays go, if you want too low, we'll, <laughs> we'll take most of the salary. Or whatever the deal is. You know how they can make those deals. Right. So, I don't know what they're going to look like. But, yeah, maybe too low comes back and... and I mean, when we last saw him, he, he was pretty good, I guess. He wasn't great, but that's because he had bone spurs in both heels. So who knows? Who knows? So the Jays, yeah, uh, another one against the Yankees tonight. And I just, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they were so good for so long. I'll be watching basketball tonight. No. Nah. <laughs> You're going to flip back and forth. <laughs> All right. So um, Don Cherry we talked about and Bob Cole. So, so uh, here's a quote. This is from Scott Moore president of sports who i saw the other day at a twitter canada event he was there to announce some partnership uh, a content partnership with twitter and i did not go up and say hi I, I was naturally curious if he knew who i was but i didn't actually introduce myself but yeah he was uh he was there and i was right there with him he knows who i am i'll bet he hired me many years ago and, and he's then, lived to regret that decision and then didn't renew my contract after <laughs> you but hey listen um anyway this is a quote from scott moore bob is a legend I've been a fan of Bob's for a long time. Is he talking about A, Bob McCowan, B, Bob Cole, C, Bob McKenzie? Definitely or, not McKenzie. Or D, Bob Bond. <laughs> Bobby Bond. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's B, Bob Cole. He, uh, you know, look, Bob Cole was mad. He was very, very upset that he was not part of the, um, the, any broadcast team in the playoffs. Uh, he told Michael Trakos of the National Post in April, quote, the decision sure wasn't mutual. It was right out of the blue. Rogers decided to go with other broadcast teams, and I have to live with that, Harry. But it was their decision, not mine. So, I mean, as most people would, never mind the fact that he's 84, you you know, you feel kind of slighted. You did all this for years, and you never got... And out of the blue, they didn't warn him. They didn't say, Bob, you might not be part of the broadcast team. So he was upset by that. But, but it looks like Scott Moore has tried to smooth things over. Even though he hasn't heard back from Bob Cole... He says, and I quote, I've asked Bob to do some games next year. What's the, what does that mean, though, some games? Uh, I, I personally feel like this is worse than Bob Cole being angry. But Bob Cole is hurt. Rogers has hurt Bob Cole. Yeah. I, I think it's possible Bob Cole never calls another game for uh, Hockey Night in Canada. This might be it. He's hurt. He's not returning phone calls. Even the Toronto Star, who wrote that nice article yesterday about this situation, couldn't get a quote from Bob Cole. That's how pissed and hurt he is. Um, and, and Don Cherry's going to be, uh, he's 84 and he's expected to return to coach's corner. So these are two guys, the same age. And, and like the Don, the other day, he went off on a couple of tangents there and I'm like, what, what's he, you know, but, but the, Don will surprise you. I mean, Don is so, he wears his heart on his sleeve and you know, it, in some cases, when you think back to when he was at his ranting, raving best, he's a shadow of that. It's different now. He can't just go off. He doesn't remember names sometimes, and he his voice cracks sometimes and all that, but there's something endearing about that where you've got to allow, you have to allow these people to bow out gracefully. 
And if they're not prepared to bow out gracefully and you've sort of read the riot act and said, look, this is the way it's got to go. Try to keep age out of it. Try to say, well, you're 84 or you're 85 years old because they're very different. There's 65 year olds that don't have the wherewithal that Bob Cole does. Right. You're uh, so, pre- preaching to the converted here. Yeah. People will say Bob Cole might misname a player now and then, but the uh, what you can't, the, the experience and the legend that is Bob Cole is about the cadence, the delivery, the sense of the moment. That to me, I'll take six misnamed players right. uh, in, in exchange for that irreplaceable presentation. Can I tell you a good Bob Cole story? Please? Oh yeah, of course. You know your buddy Mike Richards does a phenomenal Bob Cole. Yes, he does. Years and years ago when he first started doing it, Bob Cole had never met Mike Richards before and he had heard through sources, he might have actually heard the impersonation being done of him. So we're at a golf tournament and I, I see Richards and I know Bob is there. And uh, hey, Mike, how's it going? And all that. I said, have you ever met Bob? He's no. I said, uh, I want to introduce you to him. And he's going, no, no, no. He's going like, to hate me because I'm making fun of him. I'm mocking him. And I said, no, no, he's, I don't think so. He's not like that. So anyway, I, I introduced Mike. I say, hey, Mike, this is uh, Bob Cole. And Cole gives him, he looks at him and he goes, you're the one. Like, just like, you're the one. And then he asks Mike to sort of impersonate him in front of everybody, which is, you can't do that. It's really, that's hard. You put someone on the spot, and you say, all right, go ahead. Give it your best one, you know. Oh, baby, Sittler, score! Whatever it was. It was was funny because you, it's, you know, would you like to meet the person that you've been impersonating? I don't know, that kind of weird. But what if the guy goes, he gives you the thumbs up, and he goes, you're great, keep it up. I mean, that's like a license to print money. He gave me his blessing. So basically, Bob Cole gave Mike Richards his blessing to not make fun of him, but to do him, which I thought was pretty cool. Very cool. Um, New York Islander president of hockey operations, Lou Lamorello, has fired general manager Garth Snow and coach Doug Waite and named himself as the team's new GM. And he's going to center the first line (laughs) if he can't sign John Tavares, who becomes a free agent July 1st. Did you hear? The Islanders are a joke. (laughs) That, this is a joke organization. The fact that Garth Snow has four years left on his contract, who's he got pictures of? This is a team that's missed the playoffs eight times in the 12 years that this guy's been GM. First of all, the fact that he's been GM for 12 years is like, what? Yeah. And then you go, well, of course, he's GM. He keeps his job. The team doesn't make the playoffs half the time. This is a team that won four straight Stanley Cups in the late 70s, early 80s. This, is, this was a dynasty, all right? And now look at them. They're terrible. Our friend, uh, our mutual friend, Greg Brady, uh, tweeted something the other day at, uh, to the effect that John Tavares, one of his, his must-haves to return to the Islanders was that Doug Waite was the coach. Did you read that? Yep. And that this, he, and Greg was saying that this seals the deal. Tavares will not re-sign with the Islanders. Unless Tavares gets to choose who the next coach is. Unless Lou Lamorello says, here's the deal, John. We want you here. You're our franchise guy. You're the face of the New York Islanders. You're going to be the way Brian Trache was. We're going to win championships. You pick the coach. Lou would never, Lou the control freak, Lou would never let a player dictate who's the next head coach. So if Tavares goes somewhere else in free agency, do they hang Lou by his ankles? <laughs> I can't wait yeah. to find out. Yeah, me too. He should come here, John. Johnny, come here. Come home. I've, I haven't thought about the Toronto Raptors at all since their exit against Cleveland. I haven't, except for Dwayne Casey, who they say, you know, hey, the Detroit's job is his. And I've been saying all along, wait, take a year off. There'll be plenty of other opportunities than Detroit. Nothing against the Detroit Pistons, but there'll be plenty more opportunities after next season and maybe even during next season. Now, 
if I'm Dwayne Casey and I know I can coach, you know, uh, pretty much any team, uh, you know, maybe I'm, I don't prepare them for the playoffs that well with the Raptors, but whatever the case, if you're sought after and you're waiting around, you're being paid already, and midway through next NBA season, Houston fires Mike D'Antoni or, you know, the Lakers fire Luke Walton or whatever the case is. They pick up the phone. They call Dwayne Casey. He goes, okay, I'm ready to come back and coach. He gets a pass that year. The year you, the year you take over in the middle of a season, you get a pass that year anyway. Right. <clears throat> right? So I think that that's like the likely scenario for me. So slow so, your roll, Dwayne. Yeah, slow man. Slow your roll. You're going to be in demand. Uh, Raptors shooting guard DeMar DeRozan has been named the winner of the 2017-2018 Magic Johnson Award. Now, do you know what the Magic Johnson Award is for? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? I do not know. Bueller? Um, the award is presented annually to the NBA player who best combines excellence on the court with media and public cooperation. So not only is DeMar, um, you know, uh, a fairly easy guy to talk to, um, you know, uh, but also, if you recall, he had the guts, <clears throat> and I mean the guts, to step forward uh, and talk about his, um, his mental illness, right, which is not an easy thing to do. He and Kevin Love really did an awful lot for uh, mental illness awareness. Uh, and, and so he's the winner of the Magic Johnson Award. Um, the only other Raptor to win the Magic Johnson Award was Chris Bosh. So, so amongst all awards, you know, where does this fall? Is this like the Masterton Award, the Humanitarian Award, or be, uh, being good on the court and being good with the media? Approachable, I guess. It barely makes a ripple right. in the sports fan's right. mind. Right, right. But uh, nice to get it, but who yeah, cares? Yeah, exactly. He beat out Kevin Durant, Paul George, Manu Ginobili, and Al Horford as finalists for the award. Uh, the Professional Basketball Writers Association selected award. So amongst all the things, it's like, oh, by the way, guys, you have to pick the Magic Johnson Award winner. Now, I believe this award was started in 2001, and I think it was because they believed that Magic Johnson was not long for this earth at that time. When he was HIV positive, and that was in the 90s, uh, there was a real fear that he, you know... Like, at the time, it was like a death mo- sentence. It was a death sentence, time. right. So they created an award in 2001 uh, to honor... Magic Johnson, thinking, I guess, cryptically, that he wouldn't be around and that this, you know, would have more of an effect maybe or more, I don't know. So, I mean, Magic Johnson could live to 100 years old. After he passes away, will the award mean more? Less? The same? It's it's the same as it means now, which is very, very little. Yeah. But good for him. I uh, I love that he opened up about his battles with depression. I think it will help a lot of others who are... Uh, dealing with the same affliction, and uh, good on uh, DeMar. For sure. And we've come a long way when it comes to things like that. When you've got the most macho of all people, athletes, professional athletes, large, big men, strong men, talking about uh, mental illness, that uh, goes a long way. A lot of, lot of people will step forward and um, you know, we'll talk about their problems. Sick, not weak. Right. Twitter has this thing. This is a great thing about Twitter is somebody, it could be anybody, comes up with a... Throw something out there, right? Kind of like me on the podcast. Like, yeah, just throw it on out there and see what happens. What do you think? So some guy on Twitter, and I don't even know who started this, decided to list, because no one asked him, he decided to offer up his favorite player in every sports league. I saw this, right? yes. And yes. then copy and paste and share. 
So pretty soon everyone was like, so it would be like if I said, all right, folks, why don't you give me your, you know, give me a list, send, send off a letter, post it on social media of your favorites. Well, yeah, everyone's involved because everyone's got their favorites. So I figured, well, why don't I do my favorites? So here we go. I love it. Let's go. Major League Baseball, my favorite. And remember, this was all, I was a kid. You know, your favorite player isn't when you, you're in your 40s or 50s. It's when you're a kid. You grew up, you're a hero. Baseball, Willie Mays. NBA, Calvin Murphy. Calvin Murphy played for Niagara University. I used to go and see him play college ball. He averaged like 40 points a game. Little teeny guy. He could dunk. He was like 5'7". And he could dunk. But he was also one of the greatest free throw shooters in the history of the NBA with the Houston Rockets. Houston Rockets. I was going to ask. I I do not know Calvin Murphy. Oh, fabulous little player. Check it out on YouTube. How about another one? In the NFL, Paul Warfield. Played for my Cleveland Browns, my favorite team. The only games I could get on television back in the day were Cleveland Browns games every week. He was number 42, a wide receiver. Grace. Didn't he become an actor? Or no, he didn't. No, okay. no, that's, no. no Paul Win- that's Paul Winfield. <laughs> okay. But anyway, he won, he won an NFL championship with Cleveland Browns, and he won a couple of Super Bowls with the Miami Dolphins as well. Paul, and he, became, he was a Toronto, he was going to play football in Toronto with the Toronto Northmen of the World Football League. He and Larry Zonka and Jim Kick of the Miami Dolphins were all signed to play in the World Football League for the Toronto Northmen. Wow. They never played in Toronto. They played in Memphis. John Bassett owned that team. So anyway, that's why I like Paul Warfield. NHL, Gretzky. No discussion. The great one. NCAA basketball, Lou Alcindor. Before he became Kareem Jabbar, played at UCLA. What a player. NCAA football, Bubba Smith. Before he became an actor, played at Michigan State, and he was a monster. He was a monster, Bubba Smith. He was 6'7 and 300 pounds. Nobody was that big in those days. Let's tell everybody that's a high tower. That's right, from uh, Police Police Academy. Academy. That's it, Bubba Smith. (laughs) Uh, Soccer, Pele. I interviewed him. He was fabulous. He was so dynamic, and he played for a soccer team you would not believe, the New York Cosmos. The North American Soccer League back in those days in the 70s was like, yeah, you know. Um, But this guy, Pele, he gave instant credibility to the league. Is it possible he's the most world-famous person you've ever interviewed? Pele. Okay, yeah. Those two would be the two biggest maybe of all time. Ali would be one, and Pele would be two. You've done them all. Um, I've done a lot of them, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tennis, Roger Federer, and for oh. the women, Chris Everett. Right. Golf, Arnold Palmer. And and for females, I liked Nancy Lopez. I, I liked her. I thought she did a real good job. She's mainstream. Uh, women's golf became more mainstream. It wasn't all about the sexy Jan Stevenson and the whatever. It was, you know, she was, and she was very media friendly. Um, she was really cool. So I, I liked her. Um, boxing, Ali. Wrestling. Sweet Daddy Seeky. Sweet Daddy Seeky, Mr. Irresistible. <laughs> NASCAR. NASCAR, my favorite, was a guy named Cuckoo Marlin. That's Sterling Marlin's father. Okay, I was going to I know Cuckoo Sterling Marlin, Marlin. I don't know Cuckoo, Cuckoo Marlin used to run against the Richard Petties and David Pearsons and all that. And Cuckoo Marlin, the reason they called him Cuckoo Marlin, this was a guy who would draft. There would be just enough room between the two cars on the super speedways banked. Just enough room that you could fit one car in there, Right. He would be that guy that would, that would get in to draft in behind the number one guy and in front of the number two guy. He'd slide his way in there. Cuckoo Marlin. That's how he got the nickname Cuckoo. You got it, baby. F1, Ayrton Senna. One of the great documentaries. Yeah. Senna. And in the CFL, Doug Flutie, who, if it wasn't for me, would have gotten run over by a truck in Calgary and been, if not killed, seriously injured. If not for me. Wow. I saved Doug Flutie from getting run over by a dumb Does truck. Does he know this? Oh, yeah, he knows it. He won't admit to it because he just <laughs> stepped off the curb. He decided to st- step off the curb. Here comes a dump truck, Doug Flutie. So uh, there you go. Uh, and um, so now we've been, I've been finding these files. These, I, I, I've done so many interviews over the years, and a lot of them are lost to film or two-inch videotape or video cassette or whatever when I was on television. But I, I did a lot of interviews 
that I kept over the years where I was asking athletes about their early days, what they remember about their early careers and that. And I was a Montreal Expos fan from the, the first day. 1969, the Expos and the San Diego Padres came in, and they started showing baseball on TV, Expos games. They were in black and white. Hal Kelly did the play-by-play, and then Don Drysdale, too, and then Dave Van Horn. And it was magical. They played at Jari Park, and it was freezing cold half the time, and they had the Happy Wanderer and a Fiddler and John Buccabella, the organist. It was wonderful. Um, but Montreal was not a baseball town. They didn't, it was a novelty. And Ken Singleton was one of the first heroes there. And he had a difficult transition because he was traded for Rusty Staub. Now think about this. Your, your first hero you ever had, and all Expos fans, Rusty Staub, the Le Grand Orange. He just passed away recently too. Uh, and uh, Ken Singleton was in a trade for Rusty Staub. So he, when he came to Montreal in 1972, it was a whole new thing for him. I had a chance recently to talk with Ken. He's on the New York Yankees broadcast now. Been doing them for many, many years. And I had a chance to catch up with him and, uh, and talk about what it was like in Montreal. Uh, people were in love with it. It was more of a novelty back in those days. And uh, Expos uh, hadn't really taken root as far as a serious team uh, throughout the rest of the league. They had a lot of players that were either towards the end of their careers or at the very beginning, like I was in those days. And not too many of the middle guys on the team that really carry a ball club. Uh, as far as going to Montreal, at first, it was the first time I was ever been traded, and uh, traded from the Mets to the Expos, and I grew up in New York, so it was kind of tough for me to go home and tell my mom, well, Mom, I'm, I've been traded away from the hometown team, and I remember on that particular day, I drove up to Montreal, uh, Mike Jorgensen and I drove up there, no, it was Tim Foley and myself drove up there that day, and uh, got to Montreal and stayed at the uh, Windsor Hotel that night, and um, you're right about the fact that the uh, fans weren't too enamored of us at first. They didn't really know what to expect, but uh, they found out pretty soon that whenever the team did win a game, usually uh, either uh, Tim Foley, Mike Jorgensen, or myself had something to do with the victory. So they, they started to lean towards uh, in our direction a little bit, but uh, replacing Rusty, I think it made it easy for the three of us because there were three of us involved. Usually when a team is as poor as the Expos were in those days, you get a lot more characters, I'm character guys, but also characters, guys that are, you know, a little off the wall, flaky, whatever you want to say. And I know they had some real weird, you know, guys there. Can you recall one or two instances where you kind of shook your head and went, holy cow, I mean, this isn't what I expected. Well, uh, we had a player, uh, one of the three years I was there, uh, Pepe Frias. Remember Pepe? He used to call himself the doctor of leather because he was such a good fielder. Couldn't hit, but he was, he was, he was a good fielder. And that was his nickname, the Doctor of Leather. And uh, I, I felt that, uh, to me, he looked like a, a black Harpo Mark. So I, I used to call him uh, Harpo. That was, that was his nickname. Uh, and, of course, he didn't know who Harpo Marx was. But, uh, you know, I did, got around the team, and that's what everybody called him, Harpo. Um, Tim Foley, I know one of the guys you were traded for, along with Mike Jorgensen, was, uh, his nickname was Crazy Horse. Uh, and, 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 again, he was, it was a talented ball player and just, you know, lived life differently. Yeah, he could go off at any time, to, to say the least, at umpires, uh, at other players on other teams. Uh, I remember him uh, getting involved. I don't know if you remember the day where Bob Watson broke his jaw at sh shortstop. Tim was covering the bag, and he was such a, a player that was kind of despised by the rest of the league. So whenever other teams got a chance to hurt him, they would. So on a double play ball, Watson came in standing up and kind of elbowed him with the jaw and broke his jaw, and Foley was out for, you know, maybe a good two months. Um you took the opportunity, I know, to spend more time in Montreal than the average ball player would, you know, in, a, in his uh, adopted town, I guess you'd say. Uh, how did you find that, the culture? Uh, I know you met your wife there. Yeah, the, my first wife, yeah. Uh, I had a 
chance to learn a little bit of French. You know, of course, when you get away from it, you forget it. Uh, you, you just don't use it and you just don't hear it. Um, also had a chance to play hockey for the, seriously for the first time. Of course, I was a much younger man in those days and, and, and you know, not too many people play basketball. So I went out and, uh, you know, skated. You know, it was fun. No checking, of course, but, uh, you know, we went up and down the ice, kind of shinny, I think they call it. And I had a good time. Uh, the winters are very, very cold. And uh, Mark, uh, after living in Montreal for two winters, we moved to California. There you go. Ken Singleton. So the Montreal Expos really were my first love. They came many years before the Blue Jays. I was 12, 13 years old. And I, I just remember like being so in love and enamored with the logo, the colors, the culture. It's Major League Baseball. They came north. Not, not only did they come north to Canada, but now it's two languages too. So I learned, I liked learning French. I learned French from the French baseball broadcasts because sometimes you turn on the French CBC and the game would be on, right? And you go, whoa, and it's still baseball. But, you, but I learned like, mauvais lanceur is wild pitch. I love that. La recour is shortstop. I, I love that. And there was just something about it, just the culture of it, and wanting to go to Montreal and going to Jarry Park. What was it like? And the first time I went to Jarry Park, I actually met Ken Singleton, my cousin. Uh, Cookie Lazarus was a big-time agent in Montreal. He was Peter Mahovlich's agent for the Montreal Canadiens. And he was the agent for uh, Ken Singleton, Mike Torres, Mike Jorgensen, and Tim Foley back in those early days. And he had great seats at Jarry Park. And let me tell you something. It was an experience for a young boy to go and sit in the freezing cold in like April, even in May, outdoors in this makeshift ballpark with fans that were just, you know, so effusive, so excited and, and curious about baseball. And that was the thing is Canadians were curious. You know, a lot of Canadians, of course, knew about baseball, but they were curious as to some of the subtleties of the game. Maybe it was like softball to you and me. Maybe it was like there were some people that thought that if the runner scored from third on a ground ball, which was the third out, that, that, that the, if the runner uh, crossed the plate before the guy was out at first, that that run would count. Like ridiculous. Like George Steinbrenner, when he first owned the Yankees, he thought that. He, he got excited once. They, they, they tell a story that he got so excited once because he thought the Yankees had won, tied the game. And the guy next to him had to say, no, no, George, that was the third out, so it doesn't make a difference. Like that type of thing. So growing with baseball and being an Expos fan and Ken Singleton and then later to see Gary Carter and Andre Dawson and, you know, Steve Rogers pitch in the days of Jeff Reardon and, you know, and then later, of course, Moises Alou and, um, oh, my God, uh, Marquise Grissom, Larry Walker. I mean, the list goes on and on. The Expos will always hold a place in my heart, and I really hope someday that Montreal gets baseball back because they deserve to have it. they got a great history, and it's got to be better than paying, playing baseball in Tampa Bay. It, it really does. Okay, that's it for the show. Welcome. Uh, I welcome your comments, your opinions, suggestions, ideas, and feedback of all types. Hit me up. I am Hebsyman on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks to Toronto Mike for production and inspiration. Hebsy on Sports brought to you by CrosswindsGolf.com in beautiful Burlington. What a great place. You got to go. Play golf. Get married there. Check out the food. Book your tea time now. I'll see you out in the course. I'm Mark Hebsher. Thanks for listening. So long for now.